it's Deja and I'm back with episode two of the self-care summer series which I'm so excited about have some amazing people here with me and I can't wait for you guys to meet them um so I'm really passionate about this self-care summer series I've been thinking about it for a long time um and it's actually happening and so one thing that's really close to my heart that I've done a lot of work with in school and even just like I don't know, very close like circles of friends and family and helping them through their own situations is healing past sexual trauma, violence, and assault. Um, I have experience with that and so do the ladies I have here with me. And so we just want to dive deeper into that conversation. Um, I like we're all different ages. I'm 22. We have a mom and then we have her mom. So um, getting perspectives from people from different generations who have gone through this and what that looks like for the black family and the black community and just really delving into that topic a little bit more so i'm excited for you guys to meet miss jessica and her mom michelle hi everybody so yeah jessica you can go ahead and introduce yourself a little bit more what it is that you do with woman of purpose and all the things so yeah oh well thank you for having me Daisha. this is awesome man i feel so special being on the <laughs> I love this podcast. So, but yeah, um, I'm just little Jessica. I host conferences through Woman of Purpose, which is my nonprofit organization. We empower women to pursue their God given passions and dreams. Um, it really is a blessing just to see the number of women that have been impacted, especially the women of color who have been impacted. So, um, yeah, it's great. Y'all can check it out www.womanofpurposeconference.com. Hopefully, y'all can attend this year. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. Bam. Bam. <laughs> and mom. Hey everybody, Daisha, thank you so much for having me. I am Michelle Priest, aka the party princess. <laughs> I love her. <laughs> I am a singer, entertainer in the DFW area. I've traveled international singing, sang for president, sang for let's see. I wish y'all could see this hair flip right now. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yes, you gotta piggy. Like Miss Piggy there. She's the original. Don't get it twisted. Oh, (laughs) And yeah, I'm just really excited to be here and share my story. I love this topic because it's something that affects every community, every race, and something that uh, truly needs to be discussed Mm -hmm. uh, for healing. Yes, so totally agree. I love them. They're so much fun. We were supposed to start like 30 minutes ago, but we've just been here cutting up. We've been chilling. So, (laughs) um, super excited to have them here. And if you know Jessica and her mom, then you know that they're like really close. Like you wouldn't even think they're like mother, daughter, more like (laughs) friends. And I even remember like being at Jessica's baby shower and this woman in this cat suit comes in. Why do they call my suit a cat suit? (laughs) Sparkling and shining. She and thought it was her like, baby shower. Oh, it's this lady. <laughs> but even like working with Jessica and like being around the house and stuff like that, I just really love their relationship a lot. Um, and so I think that I want them to kind of explain the nature of their relationship and kind of how they've gotten so close. Because um, I think that plays a part too in their story and their process of healing when it comes to sexual assault um, with their personal stories. So how did y'all, like, were y'all always close like this? Or like, what's Ooh. the deal here? 
<laughs> that could be a whole nother <laughs> podcast topic in itself. Um, I actually don't think that we've always been this close. Um, it's interesting because for a long time, and I guess super transparent moment here, but didn't even know you'd ask this question, but growing up, I always had an issue with my mom because I felt like she favored my sister and I was like daddy's favorite child. Um, and then I hated the fact that my parents were divorced. So I just took it out on my mom. Ooh. Um, big time. Yes. So I remember growing up, I was always gave my mom hell. I bad mouthed my mom all the time. I was very oh my disrespectful. Gosh, really? Yes. Everything. Yeah. No, I, I gave my mom so much hell. And I don't think we really became close I think it was after Natalie died and you kind of went through that dark period I had a sister that passed away and my mom became her primary caregiver like pretty much sacrificed her career and everything just to take care of her and watching my mom go through that season or period of darkness I really believed that I needed to be there for my mom and that's when things began to shift and then even now becoming a mother myself, now, I mean, having a two-month-old, two I, I called her the other day and I was like, Mom, I had this dream. Natalie was in my dream. Natalie's my late sister. And I said, I really don't think that the dream was meant to be sad or anything, but in that dream, I began to be the caregiver for my sister. And I said, I think God wanted me to see that or experience that dream because it felt so real mm -hmm. I said I think he wanted me to see that to really understand what you had to go through as a mother and I, now I understand and I said I just want to apologize but I get it now yeah. because it was I mean girl it was like oh I was in tears I woke up in tears when I had that dream but I appreciate my mom so much more now because I am a mother and I understand what she went through. And then I also understand now that my parents were never meant to be together. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you, know, I, you also have to understand, dang, I talk a lot, but no, go ahead. I think you also have to understand, um, and we'll probably get into this as we get dig deeper into the podcast, but sometimes parents are loving you based on how they were loved growing up. Yes. And 100%. I think I we as you get older you have to realize as a child like you can't fault your parents for not loving you the way you think you need you to be, be loved. loved. Right. Um and I had to learn that the hard way because I always looked at my friends and I saw their relationships with their moms and I always felt like, well, why can't my mom be more like that? Mm -hmm. But now that I'm older and I see how my mom is, I'm like, oh, I appreciate my mom like this because she's Me young, too. she's funky, yeah. she's fun, she's not old school, like, yeah. you know, we can talk about things and I think even Jedediah, he will appreciate that. Or even like, look, just like, getting it, dancing yeah. in the living room? Oh yeah. my gosh, she's going to be a fun grandma. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so, but that's just, we really did not have the best relationship in the early days. Now, I mean, kind of feels like we're best friends. I don't want to say that because I don't want to be my best friend. Oh, Ugh. I'm your best Ew. friend. Yeah. You know, that's so funny because, like, when you're younger and growing up, your parents be like, I'm not your little friend. Yeah. And then as soon as you, like, get, like, 24, 25, <laughs> Best friend, I just love what you doing today. We call each other every morning. <laughs> every morning, I FaceTime my mom, and it's funny because 
I would never do that before. I'd be like, ooh, I'm trying to get away from her. I'm trying to get out the house. Now I'm the one trying to get away from her. I'm like, what's she calling me for? Girl, I'd be calling her every day like, mom, what you doing? You want to go shopping? I need you to... My mom helps me pick out my outfits. Oh, my um, gosh. Total reverse. Oh, oh, I mean, because she's so trendy. From one who... She used to tell me, like, I'd pick out clothes. She'd say, mom, I'm not going to wear that. That's too hoochie, mama. Oh, <laughs> That's too... Yeah. It's so funny. Uh, we went on a trip to Jamaica, and all of my outfits, my mom picked were it up. from my closet. They really? were from her closet. Oh my yeah. gosh! It, it's just crazy. I don't know. It's just yeah. She's always super cute whenever she we comes. We said we over. should open a store called My Mother's Closet. Yeah, that's so cute. Actually, we need to do that. We, we need be to having that. ideas, girl. We'd be in the car and be like, "Oh, that's a good idea." Like we got. All right. We can't talk about this. Okay. 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 Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We my mother's closet. It's <laughs> one in the works. One in the works. So, yeah. what's your take? Being the um, mom in this situation. My goodness. I'm glad she told <laughs> her bad stuff. <laughs> so I didn't have to I tell I kept it. it real. Oh, Jessica kept me on my toes. <laughs> I had her when I was 18. So basically growing up together. Um, and I learned a lot from her growing up. But as she said, her sister was sick. So most of my time was monopolized with her sister. Mm-hmm. And Jessica was shipped off to my mom or to her dad's. So it was really rough for her to deal with that. Yeah. And, um, but oh my goodness, yeah, a learning experience. Uh, <laughs> ooh, child. I from, love the way they're side eyeing each other right now. <laughs> I was bad. I was bad. Yeah, yeah I would get knocks <laughs> on the door. Uh, Jessica. Is driving down the street in your car. So, oh my good, yeah. Oh my god. Oh yeah. yeah. But with that said, the turnaround that she she made, mm-hmm. and when she made oh, but this is the other thing I, I think that we're closer now because she told me that she wasn't moving out of the house until she was t- until she was married. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, most people don't want to do that, but I'm glad I girl. Did that. Save your coins, girl. Yeah, up. Well, okay. I, yeah, I don't know if I really save much, but <laughs> oh, it's like mm. rent free. I was like, I ain't paying no bills. Don't ask me for nothing. What y'all thinking <laughs> yeah. today? So how old were you when you moved out? I moved out of the house when I was what, twenty eight, twenty nine, twenty nine. Yeah, twenty nine. Wow, twenty nine. Wow, ain't nothing wrong with that. Wow, I sure did. Can you I, believe that? I, don't I mean. Know. Now, here's the thing. I did have moments where, like, I moved out. I, I think, what, I lasted for two years out on my own. I don't think it was. <laughs> I love lasting. I don't yeah. think it was even that long. <laughs> yeah. It was, it, uh. Well, the thing is, because I traveled a lot, I was hardly ever at home. Come on. I mean, y'all know y'all love me being in the house. She's like, give me some credit, Mom. <laughs> okay, so when we, when we would have to find dishes, we'd know to go to Jessica. <laughs> to find, to, uh, Let's see, there's no cups in the cabinet. Jessica's room. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. I, that, that's what most of our, our fights were about. <laughs> Jessica not cleaning up. And that's why her and her sister would fight all the time. Because Jessica, for some reason, she she always knew, I'm going to grow up and be famous so I can have uh, maids. a maid. Girl, yeah. Oh, my God. Because we did all of her cleaning. Cleaning lady and a nanny. Well... We do have a cleaning. Place. So you should you should look back and give thanks for that, yes. for for where you are. Yes, 
I do. So you faked it until you made it. I'm gonna fake having a nanny, my mom, and my dad. <laughs> I love it. Everybody around me. I, I got servants. I got a chef. <laughs> oh, even her laundry, by the way. Hey, I did my own laundry. Goodbye. Her version of doing laundry is sticking it in the laundry room <laughs> and leaving it for days so that somebody would do it just so it could get out of the Jessica. laundry. Yay! Yeah. Well, y'all finding out the truth about <laughs> Jessica today. tried to keep it cute. Her mom was like, actually. Shoot. Uh, okay. She's a mom now, though. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm clean. I clean up. Yes. <laughs> so yes I do I wash the dishes and I do yes. laundry and, and so Jedediah you know and every time we see Jedediah he looks good he looks great but I'm just saying he, he, you know those things that you did to me <laughs> and your dad are now going to be up on you um, in the name of Jesus I will have in, a, in a good way like though clean. Amen. in and a good way that will want to get out of the house just natural and stay motherly. in the house as long as I did. So. <laughs> 29 years. Oh my gosh. That's I sure and, and you know, this new thing now, it, it's very common for children to stay with their mother stay beyond years. Yeah. So, you know, Jedediah may stay with you till he's 40. <laughs> <laughs> this last! This is like, no. hell no. no. You know that that those parents that just sued their son to move out of their house. Uh, they sued him. He, he was thirty something. <laughs> <laughs> their son, Jedediah. And big Jedediah. No, Jedediah. We ain't gonna be having that problem with him. Mm-hmm. Yes. No, we won't. Rebuke it, Granny. We In won't the name be having. Yes. Oh, mm-hmm. Granny. Shalabahanda. We won't be having that problem. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you did. You said uh, he won't be driving a Honda, so mm-hmm. that means somebody gonna have to work so he can be driving that. So <laughs> I heard you. He won't be driving a Honda. So oh, over there talking in tongues. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Y'all are so silly. I love it. So now you know why I just love being around them so much. They're so silly <laughs> and fun. But in all of this, their ups and downs in their relationship as mother and daughter. Um, they both have experience with um, being sexually violated in their past um, and it being a family member. And I think that's something that so many people can relate to and we don't talk about it. I know we were kind of talking about this the other day at Jessica's house. And I was saying, um, I feel like this is an important conversation to have on a level with people who are more like tangible and familiar because, I don't know, when you think about celebrities who are open about like being sexually violated, um, and that are black women, it's always like Oprah or Gabrielle Union or like Inyala Van Zandt. We were sitting there trying to think of somebody else and we couldn't really think of anyone else who had been open about their story when we know, like we just, we know this is something that affects, has to affect almost every black family in some way. So um, if comfortable, share how much, however much you want, but could you both like share your story about being sexually violated by a family member and what that looked like for you and kind of like what your your heads your head space was like during that time yeah yeah the, the cycle especially because being her mother mm-hmm. and then to have the same person that molested me mm-hmm. molest my daughter you know so it's uh i was five Dang, that, that I can was, remember. Wow, this is actually the first time that we're really talking about this with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, 
because I remember I was a senior in high school when I told my mom, my dad still doesn't know. And we didn't even go into the details. Like she didn't ask for any details, but I was five when it happened. So I'll ask this, I wanna jump in real quick because I was molested by my cousin, I was 13. And I was really scared and I kept it a secret. Um, and I didn't tell anyone. I just kind of kept it to myself. And when I finally told my mom when I was 18 or 19, she knew the whole time. She knew. And the reason why this person fell off the face of the earth after that summer is because my mom found out and knew and took care of it and didn't drag me through that emotional mm. like trauma of like letting family members know, kind of dealing with the situation. Um, she protected me from that. Um, but she also wanted me to wait till I was comfortable to open up to her about that and have that conversation. So um, a lot of times when I'm speaking to other people kind of around this topic, I can tell if this is something that they've been through. So as a mom going through that, did you ever feel like you had like any inclination that maybe this is something that happened to Jessica before she opened up to you about it? Yeah. Um, my other relative had children that were Jessica's age. And this was my other relative's father, who was also a police officer. And Jessica would always want to go to their house and play. And telling her no, you know, she just wanted to go and play. Um, he didn't live with them, but he eventually moved in. And I would try to stop Jessica from from going mm -hmm. to, to play, but she, she always wanted to go and because I knew that he had done yeah. this. Yeah. And I I would ask you You and Dad would I, was I just would about always to say. ask because I told Jessica's dad mm -hmm. because I did not want her to go around this person to be in the presence. Right. And so I told Jessica's dad yeah. that he had done this to me. And I would ask Jessica had he touched her, had he done anything to her because I, I wanted to know instantly. Mm -hmm. Do you, you remember me asking you, Jessica? You asked, and then Dad also asked. And I didn't... The first time it happened, um, he told me he would kill me if I told anybody. Because uh. I was sleeping, and then I realized that somebody was touching me. And touching me in a way that you should not touch a child. And I immediately got up from the bed and I ran into... This is whenever they used to stay in those apartments that look like Galleria. Mm -hmm. But it, they're not, they weren't the Galleria apartments. It's the other one that was... Something. Highland Terrace. Highland Terrace, yep. It was whenever they stayed at Highland Terrace. Um, and I immediately got up and I, it was, I walked into the living room and I just got on the computer and just stared at the screen. Um... Mm -hmm. And How old you? I was I was five or six. six. I was five or six. But I looked at the screen, stayed there for a long time, and then he came up and he was like, You don't tell anybody. You just keep this between me and you, and if you tell anybody, I'll kill you. And it didn't after that, I don't remember it ever happening at Highland Terrace again, but it happened whenever they moved into the house uh the one, was it the Blue House? The one that was close mm -hmm. by that gas station? Mm -hmm. So it it would happen different times. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> it happened different times, maybe for like five or six years. 
And the so time, how did you feel in those moments, like as a child, and knowing that this was wrong, but also being like very innocent, not knowing a lot about the world, and you know this is a secret you have to like keep. How did you do? You, how, do you not articulate how you felt? Because I was older, so I always wonder like what's the mindset of someone who goes through this at a very young age when they literally just trying to figure out how to spell their name. Like, so this is what. What I disliked about it, I knew that he was an evil person, so I didn't like him. I felt like he was extremely perverted. I don't I don't really know how I felt about it, honestly. I just know that when I did try to tell somebody, I tried to tell Tippy and Courtney, which were his granddaughters. And when I tried to tell them, they went back and told their mom and Chumpy, who was their uncle. And they were like, why would you say that? Like, why would you say something like that? So it was at that point that I knew that I tried to actually take it back. And, Mm. oh, well, you know, it wasn't like that. Because I was like, I don't want to be the person in the family that's making everybody look bad or making this man look bad. And he even said, I don't know why she would make something like that crazy girl. Like, I remember him walking Mm. in the house and saying something like that. And he was, Johnny was also a jokester. Mm -hmm. So he made it like into a joke. But I remember when he died, I didn't cry at his funeral. I'm one of those people, I think because of that experience, and I experienced a lot of death as well when I was younger, I didn't know how to show emotion. Mm -hmm. So I had zero emotion. I was afraid to tell my dad, and I remember my dad, I remember like him looking at me because I had gotten in trouble for writing a note in class about Tremar. And I was, it was a very like sexual note, and the teacher found it, and the letter got sent home to my dad and so my dad felt the need to ask me if anybody had ever touched my private parts yeah. and he specifically asked about Johnny and I was like no daddy no no but I was so afraid to tell my dad even now mm-hmm. my dad still doesn't know there's still that fear of oh my gosh but I don't know I it pissed what pisses me off about it is it made me curious when I didn't have to be curious about yes. sex yes and that's what pisses me off because I feel like... Like awakened that in you at a very young age. Yes. And you didn't get to make that choice and, and, on your own. And that's something that my parents, in their own way, they I think they were trying to protect me mm-hmm. by asking me those questions. But there was so much fear in me of, what if I get in trouble because this happened? Or I guess yeah. maybe that answers your questions of how did I feel? And you were worried about him getting in trouble. Yeah. yeah. So there was that worry. There was that fear of what's going to happen to me if I tell anybody. Mm-hmm. He's, it was just fear. Mm-hmm. But more than anything, what pisses me off and made me so angry and made me hate him to the point where, like, I mean, like I said, at his funeral, I couldn't cry. Is It's not right to do that to a child and then you bring in all these mixed emotions about sex and about your bodies and someone touching you in a way and you have these feelings and you wonder why you have these feelings i don't think any child should have to go through that experience that that's something that parents should communicate to their children and yes my parents in a way they did without having to say this person is an abuser but what it would make me do is now want to tell my child look if a man touch your private parts you let me know okay and this is that what that this is the kind of person that that person is. You, these days, you have to you be have brutally to. honest. There's no sugarcoating it. You can't because 
we sugarcoated it. My parents did, and look at what happened. Yeah, you know that's so. I mean, that's how I felt about it. I, I don't know if that explains my feelings. I was, yeah. I think, I was more angry and fearful, mm-hmm. angry and fearful, and there was so much curiosity, and I disliked the curiosity. I didn't like it. Mm-hmm. I really didn't like it because it brought like, forth a lot of mixed emotions, yeah. a lot of confusion about sex. Didn't like it at all. Yeah. What about you? In in my case, um, same, same age, same person, same mom age, and daughter. Same that like blows my mind. Yeah. It it got to the point where I was able to tell him no, mm-hmm. and if you do it again, I am gonna tell. And. Um, it made me very promiscuous at an early age, um, and also feel dirty. Mm-hmm. It it made sex become dirty for me. Mm-hmm. It made me feel um, like I was the cause of it. Like I had done something to make this man take my virginity mm-hmm. away from me at such an early age. Mm-hmm. Um, it made me, I started thinking that sex was love. Mm -hmm. I confused the two. Mm -hmm. Um, and Jessica and I talked about this. Um, it, it made me confuse the two. Um, and so if I had sex, I thought that that was love. Mm -hmm. Um, the, the promiscuity for me was really bad and then doing the act of sex no matter if if it was with somebody that I felt like I loved it just felt dirty it yeah. made me feel like a dirty person yeah um or even having thoughts of sex it made me feel like something because of the stigma that is placed on sex and not talking about it it, it just made me feel dirty and anytime I would think about sex a dirty person yeah mm, I can like 100% agree with that I felt that way like through high school like equating sex with love especially add in the factor of like my dad being in and out or my dad having like negative things to say about black women um and me taking that in as like his only daughter that looks literally just like him mm-hmm. um so that really affected me <clears throat> but then being raped in college by like my best friend it's like, why does this keep happening to me like mm-hmm. you know yeah and so you start to think there's something wrong with you and I had dealt with anxiety and depression since I was 13 but never really knowing what it was just knowing I would have like panic attacks or like I couldn't watch certain stuff on tv without having like a breakdown like SVU or like crime shows stuff like that and so it flipped from me equating sex to love um after I was raped the second time to like I don't know like I'm gonna take my power back with sex so being promiscuous in that way but like detaching the emotion from it and being like, well, I'm not going to let you take advantage of me. I'm mm. going to take advantage of you. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to yeah. get mine and I'm going to, like, go on about my business. Because yeah. it's been taken away from me so much. And it was just the idea of sex had just been so construed, misconstrued in my life. So I 100% I, like agree with that. And I know that's a big part of your testimony, too. So what was your experience growing up and how mm-hmm. sex was kind of, like, perverted and and your man at a young age and kind of changed the trajectory of maybe how you've acted around guys and in relationships growing up. Yeah. So I think for me, especially like with guys, I just kind of felt like there was nothing special about sex. 
So I just felt like, okay, it was something that you do, whether you love the person or not, you just kind of, it's whatever. I don't think I ever, I don't know if it was promiscuous for me. I think, like I said, I think there was a lot of confusion Mm -hmm. for me, even yeah, there was just a lot of confusion. Now, when I did finally get into a true intimate relationship, like a real relationship, not like, excuse my French, but fuck buddy relationship, mm-hmm. I did experience the feeling dirty. Even when I got married, there were moments when I would go back into the Jessica that I was whenever I was being molested and it was like, I don't want to do this. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. um, wow. that is... And I still experience that. Like, I have to mentally... There are moments sometimes that I go I go through this with my husband where I'm like, hold up. This... He's not the man that molested me. Yeah. This is my husband. They're completely two different people. So I might feel a certain way or he might touch me a certain way that takes me back there. Mm-hmm. Um, and with some... I've experienced that only with... And then, like real relationships where I just don't want to have sex. So what I experienced, I guess where the confused part for me was if I had a fuck buddy, it was whatever. That's so crazy you're saying that because now that you're saying it out loud, I'm like, that's what that was. Like, if I didn't care about the person, I'm like, all right, bye. Like, whatever. But if I really like them, it's like... If I really like them... Very emotional experience and not in a good way. And it wasn't... It was just like, oh my God, I can't enjoy this because I'm being taken back to a place even and this may sound weird to some people but even with breastfeeding like I think I told you mm-hmm. I worry for my child but with breastfeeding in some kind of way it makes me feel like oh my god this is wrong yeah like I had that feeling the other day because I'm like someone touched me in a weird way and I have to remember like this is something that's natural I'm not mm-hmm. touching my child in the wrong way but because of the experience yeah. that I had yeah. it distorts that again. yeah it distorts. so I'm like oh my god like the other day I was like when am I gonna stop walking around my house naked because I don't want Jedediah to ever experience anything or I don't even want anybody to think that yeah. I'm doing something to my child, but it's because of what I experienced. And it sucks yeah. that, like, we feel that, like, you feel that extra pressure. Mm-hmm. When, like, that's not, like, if people haven't gone through that, that's not a question in their head as well. Oh, moms. God. Like, so, it, it, that's I, just like an added stress to being a new mom. Yes, is thinking it is. about all these things when it you is. shouldn't have to. Even, you know, I thought about, I was like, the thing that would cross my mind is, okay, if, if I would have had a little girl first, would I let my husband change her diaper? I would feel weird about that because I don't think that my husband would ever do anything, but you can't put anything past anyone because these days it's family members Mm -hmm. that are, you don't, you don't know. And I just would think in my mind, like, I would always want to be there when he's changing the diaper or even like, I thought to myself, I'm like, I'm never going to let Jedediah sleep in a woman's room. I'm never, Hillary was telling me, I think my house, my mom's house help used to touch me when I was younger. And I'm like, that a woman touching a little boy and it made me think oh i'm never i'm not gonna let my son be in in, in a room alone with anybody and it I makes you question people who like could be the most innocent of all and yeah it's just yeah. like it's not your fault though yeah so those are the things that like i experienced like like i said with fuck buddies it was like whatever but I probably need to stop saying that word. But in, in in my marriage, yes, I have those moments. Like when I've been in real thriving relationships, I've had those moments. I think it also made me well maybe this this is promiscuous. I mean maybe to think about like 
what would it be like to be with the woman? Mm-hmm. I, those thoughts did come to my head and to my mind, you know, or yeah. in my mind. Now, did I ever act on it? No, but I had those confusing thoughts, mm-hmm. like experimenting with myself. Mm-hmm. <coughs> I never actually, if that was the one thing that did happen, I masturbated a lot as a kid mm-hmm. because of how he touched me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was something I never did until he touched me in that way. So, yeah, mm. it just made me really curious and confused. Yeah, yeah. Even um, because once that thought is memory is downloaded, mm-hmm. it, it's just something that you cannot forget. Even experiencing sex with my husband, there's. I mean, I'm fifty, and sometimes sexual acts that we do will bring. Mm-hmm that memory back and then it, it it's done. I mean, yeah, it's just, it the moment. yeah, it, mm-hmm. it makes a be- what's supposed to be a beautiful mm-hmm. mom- moment become perverted. And yeah, this man was very perverted. I, I, I mean, I even remember him watching, staying over at our house and watching porn while everyone else was asleep. Even my my mom and my stepdad and we would be asleep on a pallet on the floor, and this man would be watching porn, sex cartoons. <coughs> this was something that like wow. his I, and what's so crazy is his grandkids. I they would they're never admit they're all girls. You would never. I don't when I tried to tell them what he was doing to me, and they just like oh my god. And then I remember when we got older, when we got in middle school. Tiffany's mom, or no, not uh, intermediate school. Uh, one of my best friends, she used to hang out with us, and her mom and her would just always be like, "He's just a very strange man." Mm-hmm. And one day, my cousins, they were like, "If he ever touches you in a certain way, it's okay. Like he's and it's like they were teaching." You can them. tell that they've experienced. Yeah. Oh yeah, okay. you can definitely tell that they've experienced. They're all extremely freaky, like. Out of this world, world. freaky. Really? I, oh yeah. Like where does that? Yeah. Where I I, I just wonder like what the heck is your pro- I don't even their like, mom. What makes yeah. men do this or what makes people even women? What makes you yeah. do that and then to innocent children? Um, so y'all saying you know like he did it. It just blows my mind that he did it when you were five and then did it to your daughter when she was five and then. It's clear that he was well, in my sister's granddaughters. Sis- so the whole he's, family. He he slept with sis- sisters. sisters. That's so crazy. Yeah. And to me it scares me like thinking about my own personal situation because when it happened to be my, my cousin, I don't remember he was seventeen or nineteen, but his girlfriend was pregnant. And um, when my mom got married a few years later, his mom and his girlfriend and his then two year old daughter came. And so he wasn't there, obviously. But the whole time, I'm just looking at his daughter, like, like, yeah, like you were in your mom's like belly when he was doing this to me. So I always think about that too, mm. and it, it just, I don't know. Yeah. So we just had a when I went to the birthday party. Oh, ooh. we just had an incident what? less than three months ago where two brothers, two of my brothers, and. The brother's grandchildren were at this birthday party, and the other brother says, I should have spent the night at his house with all those young. And I looked at him and I said, Do you know that those are your brother's 
grandkids, great grandkids. And uh, I was so dis. I haven't spoken to him since then. But I did, and I called the other female family mm-hmm. members, and I said, "Hey, this is, you know, what he said." Yeah. So. But what gets me is when you know you made the post and you reached out or I reached out to you about the podcast what made me begin to think is why do these people do the things that they do and what did they experience what did they experience to make them be that way so I'm like it doesn't come out of nowhere like somebody did something to them somebody what was it to make you do this like repeatedly but then what that now does to me is make me think like oh, well, wait a minute, if they had the same experience, I had that same experience too, so I need to make sure that I check my heart and check myself mm-hmm. and make sure that these things don't yeah. ever come out. I pray yeah. for my... I don't... Those desires have never come for me to ever touch anyone's child, but I pray for myself all the time that God close those portals because you never know. I, I don't know what happened to this man to yeah. make him as evil as he was to be touching all these women in our family or um, for... I, Lord, I probably shouldn't be saying names because we don't know who's going to listen to this podcast, but I mean, I'll go ahead and say it. I, your brother, like, what would make him say something like that or do these type of things or even have a desire to touch a little girl, regardless if it's family or not, like any little child? Yeah. And to just freely, you know, it, mentally, he is, he's very sick to even verbalize mm-hmm. that. Regarding family members, so yeah, very sick. So that makes me want to ask you guys, because um, one thing we did talk about was just kind of like family secrets, and um, how this happens all the time, and people will know, and they will go to the ends of the earth to cover it up. And so I know, like my mom, for example, with her story, she started getting touched at a very young age, like three or four, by mm. family members, and when she would try to bring it up. They would tell her she like my granddad would tell her she's lying or she needs to stop lying and she would bring it up again a few years later and she would get spanked or yelled at and fussed at so it came to a point where it felt like nobody was there to protect her um and even like a group of girls that I was working with and used to mentor one of them she I was kind of sharing my story about being sexually assaulted um in college and molested by my cousin at a young age and um she like dresses like a guy and she has a girlfriend and stuff but she's over there shaking like showing the most emotion I've ever she's the jokester of the group and she's like sweating bullets shaking and I just feel all this heat from this side and I didn't even looked at her so I turn and I look and she's like having a moment I'm like do you want to talk or do you want to share so she starts speaking in code and she never says I was molested or I was raped or I was touched but what she does say uh, we all know she's in she stays with the foster parent um, and so there's another girl that stays there with them and there was a man that was always around that had been touching her and the girl that stays with them and um, they she opened up to a friend about it um, and that was her first time doing that and the friend told everybody at school she's in middle school at this mm. point and that was her first experience opening up to somebody about it um, and so she got really angry and um, that's when she kind of started making that shift to like when I identify as a guy and just like not really knowing how to express her emotions and in that um, somehow got to like a teacher or someone in authority to where they had to say something so police got involved 
once police got involved, her foster mom like pulled her and the girl to the side and was like, y'all need to lie. This is what y'all need to say. And if you don't, like, I'm going to do X, Y, Z, like beat them or mistreat them or not feed them. Things like that, which really scared them. Since her second experience with like giving the opportunity to speak out and someone who's supposed to protect her is not doing that for mm. her. So now she has all these emotions and this anger and doesn't really understand like who she is, struggles with her identity. Yeah. These girls are in a detention center. Like these are the girls that get suspended from school. So obviously getting in trouble there and just the emotional reaction, like sweating bullets and crying, like mm. all that being bottled up and she's only what, 15 years mm. old. Um, so it's a very big thing like people will go to the ends of the earth to protect protect perverted family members mm-hmm. um, and it leaves the people who are innocent in the situation yeah. vulnerable to it happening to them again and also kind of having to figure it out by themselves, yeah, themselves. Yeah, and do. so listening to you guys it seems like y'all two are the ones who are like keeping an open ear like noticing the little things that show that this person may have done this to someone else or maybe other people in the family are doing it to other people and, but nobody's talking about it except for y'all. Or when y'all bring it up, people are like, wait, no, 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 no. Like, uh, trying to defend them. So how we, does that make y'all feel with the family secrets and y'all two kind of being the only ones to, like, speak up about well, it? Well, actually, now, I verbalized it to other female family members, and they have the same story mm. of him doing the same thing. So the, the more that I've talked to other family members about it and we are the only person that we have not had the discussion with is his daughter mm-hmm. she know she 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 we, knows we've been afraid to have that discom- that conversation mm-hmm. but i'm writing a book about it because it it literally shaped had a lot in who i am mm-hmm. and how i dealt with relationships yeah. and accepting because he was a family member afraid to get him in trouble and almost having sympathy for him I, I I somewhat had sympathy for him growing up because I didn't want to get their dad in trouble my sister's husband and I think a lot of us feel that way like I didn't want to get my cousin in trouble yeah, yeah. and I'm like oh he's like a young teen dad and they play on that and they play on that they like pick up on that which is yeah. like super crazy um, and so in other areas yeah. When people would do things to me, I would be more willing to just let things slide mm-hmm. or not wanting to get this get people in trouble in just different areas of my life that i that carried with me to just suppress it and hold it and you know what that's crazy that you say that so happened when I was 13 with my cousin in college it happened to me when I was at nineteen the really 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 close guy friend like looked at him like my big brother mm-hmm. and this person was very big on campus he was greek he was a dj he was a party promoter everybody loved him he was always in the mix and so for me i'm like he did this like i have text messages of him begging me not to say something like threatening me wow. like telling me um you know i'm gonna tell such and such xyz so you can't get on because he knew at the time you know like i had interest in like greek life and stuff like that like like basically all the evidence and proof to where literally if I was petty enough I could just put it on Twitter and nobody could say anything to me but there was this weird tension of wanting to speak out but also like wanting to protect this person protect the person mm-hmm. and also feeling like nobody was gonna believe no me. one is gonna believe you and I think that's a big thing with rape culture and girls who do decide to speak out I so 
it happened to me when I was 13, but I wasn't able to articulate that, that, that I was molested until I started going to counseling after it happened in college. So not really in that mindset of, oh, I was molested whenever I would hear stuff. I'm like, why don't they just go to police? Why don't they just tell? Why don't they just, it's not that hard. Da, da, da. Just no. call the police. And so when I decided to go through with an investigation in college, I did everything that I knew to do. I went to the health and wellness center on campus to try to get tested for STDs. They told me it was too early, so I have to come back. Um, but they did send me to counseling. They did try to prescribe me medicine for my anxiety because I would jump anytime someone moved yeah. or tried to touch me, got enrolled in counseling. And then um, my parents went through the whole process with me of like calling the police. Um, so we went, I had to tell them the entire story, I had to turn in my clothes. Um, I had to go see a SANE nurse. Which also, just talking about how traumatic that experience is, and I want to throw this in, there's a lot of stuff people don't know, but there are two main, like, major hospitals in Denton, and one of them is a, it's either Methodist or Presbyterian hospital, and, like, actually, fun fact, same nurses, um, they're on call, they're kind of like contractors, in mm. a way, they wouldn't take me to the religious hospital because they don't give you, like, plan B or anything even if it's like rape and even if that's what you want you can't do that there mm. so they had to take me to the other one um but I had to tell my story again in detail mm. and then I have to take pictures and bend over and like mm. less than 24 hours after all of this happened and then I have to get a shot in my butt and take all this medicine and I take plan b which plan b is not just pop a pill and go on about your day like you're on the floor crying and like throwing up because it's still a rush of hormones it's like a month's worth of birth control at once mm. so it throws your body off and um i just remember being super depressed and anxious and constantly getting phone calls from investigators and it was almost like they were trying to get me in trouble like well what were you wearing we see your outfit that you had on where were y'all at your clothes are wet were you at the pool did you drink did you smoke have you ever done anything and i'm like no but even it. if i did like he still did it you know so yeah. that was really hard for me and I felt like I came to a point after like two weeks where I was just like, this isn't helping me anymore. Like, I want this person to pay for what he did, but one, it's not helping me because I'm having to retell this story 50 million times. And then two, in a two-week span, I had 13 people involved with the investigation tell me, literally, I know the number 13 telling me, you're so brave for speaking out about this. It just sucks that a lot of times nothing happens or it sucks that a lot of times we can't pin them for it. So if you're constantly hearing that, it's like, well, what am I putting myself through right. this for? Mm -hmm. So I dropped the charges. And when I did that, that gave him free range to be like, she was lying. She was lying. She was lying. And so school year started. I was going to transfer schools, all that stuff. My mom was just like, you're giving him your power by doing that. I don't fault you for not wanting to do the investigation anymore. Whatever you feel like works for you. But you doing that, running away, you're giving him your power. So go back to school the next semester. And this man starts stalking me. Like literally will pop up at my classes, follow me around like while I'm walking to classes or on campus. Um, he knew wow. where I lived, so I just lived in a constant state of fear. Mm -hmm. And one time he was trying to talk to me and he was like, you need to stop acting like this in public. You're making me feel like a monster. He whispered that to me in my ear in public. Oh, wow. And followed me to my class. And I like turned around and cussed him out and I was like, you need to leave me the alone. Stop following me. Mm -hmm. And everybody's just like, He's like, she just mad. She just mad because she just mad because I ain't dick her down. I was like, you know, saying stuff like that. Oh, like, wow. it, like, it really hurt me. So I got to class and I had this big anxiety attack and I just had to leave. And I was crying and I was sitting on the bench crying. And a friend found me. 
she was literally just like walking to the bus and so I like just told her everything that happened because I really didn't open up to anyone about it except for my parents and so she takes me to the campus police and I'm sitting there and I'm telling them everything that happens and they're trying to be cool about it and nice about it and then they we're in the small investigation room so they go behind this door where I can hear everything mm. and then one of the cops just gets pissed and he's like we have to do something about this so i'm like tuning in a little bit more now that i hear that he's mad it's like this is not the first girl this is not the second girl this is not the third girl and we haven't been able to do anything about it um and then the guy was like okay well what do you want to do like how do you want to go about this she's just trying to get a restraining order no this is a long process he was like i don't know but like i'm tired of hearing this person's name with the same thing they come out and I'm like, I just want to restrain an order against this person. And they're like, well, we have to see if this constitutes as stalking. And because you dropped your charges. And I'm like, I just want him to leave me alone. It felt like I was like yeah. screaming and shouting like in the mm. middle of like the mall and nobody, everybody was just going on about their business. Victimized like, all over again. Yeah. So it just kept making me feel like my voice was powerless, even though I felt I was doing everything I knew to, to protect myself yeah. and even getting other people involved. And so... They told me that um, they would pass my case along to a female investigator because they feel that that could help me more, which, why? Like, why wouldn't it work? Like, why? you know, that kind of made me feel some type of way. They told me that they could give him a call and let him know that they were aware of what was going on, that he needed to leave me alone, but they couldn't give me a restraining order. And that they would call me back in two days to continue the rest of the process so I could get the restraining order and that was summer 2014 and I haven't I never got a call back mm. from the investigator from the police nothing the school ended up giving me a no contact order which means he can't speak to me but if we had a class together or whatever like if he hadn't been in the same room like he mm. could be there so it just got to the point where I going through that entire process and trying to speak up for myself and knowing that he had done it to other girls like Look at what you go through doing that everything i knew nothing to was do accomplished. And nothing was accomplished so now it's like you know like i have so much empathy and sympathy for people who don't say anything or who pretend like nothing ever happened like your family members because it's almost just like well what like nobody's gonna do anything no, if, gonna do if i do well you know i told my mom I said, you know, I wish that maybe when it happened, it was during this season with social media and everything. I said, because I guarantee you, if he was still alive, that he definitely wouldn't be getting away with it any, anymore. And I think if if, if, she, if she had told us then, oh, yeah. I know you, between your dad and I, one of us would have been in prison. Mm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Because enough was enough. Yeah, oh god. I I'm still like, oh god. My my dad would probably break down. Do you think y'all are ever going to have this conversation? With well, him? now that my daddy on Instagram and he on Facebook, if we <laughs> post about this podcast and share what it's about, I mean, he listens to everything too, so mm-hmm. I probably should have the conversation with him, but I know that he would be extremely hurt. Like he would be very emotional. Because he asked me about it so much when I was younger. Yeah. So, and my dad is one of those that like to have very in-depth, deep conversations. Mm -hmm. So, we would be like, let's go out to eat. Let's (laughs) sit down and have a talk and Mm -hmm. tell me how it happened, when it happened. So, is it you maybe not wanting to relive that experience again or wanting to protect, like, your dad's emotions? 
I, I'm such a daddy's girl, so I would feel like that little girl sitting down with my dad and having to share with him that I would feel like, oh my God, I didn't tell you, I lied to you. Yeah. But it happened. And I would kind of feel like, oh, I did something wrong. And, but dad, yeah, it happened. And I know it's going to hurt you. So yeah, protect his emotions. I'm just like, oh, yeah. protect the both of ours. Cause that, it would be hard. I feel like it's easier to talk about this on the podcast, mm-hmm. but to sit down in front of my dad, I know it would hurt. Yeah. Like I kind of, like I kind of feel, kind of feel, I feel like my, my mom's a little bit stronger than my dad. Even though I've only seen my dad cry once, <coughs> twice my whole entire life. But I feel like she would, she's able to handle this conversation more than what my dad would be able to handle. I think that's so interesting it. how we are with our dads. Like, I'm not cool with my dad anymore, but in the season when I was and I opened up to him about it, he was so angry and he cried. And I was just like, did I do the right thing by telling him? And he was just like, what's the person's name? And I know my dad is crazy. So I was mm-hmm. just like, I, I ain't trying to have you go kill the man. Like, I just wanted to let you know. And mm-hmm. even when it happened, um, telling my stepdad was really hard. Like, I don't even think I told him. I think my mom told him. And, um, but he was there with me when I had to talk to the investigator and tell him the story. But my body language was like turned all the way away from him. Yeah. And I'm like, all of that. So, it's just interesting how we are with, like, the people who are supposed to protect us the most yeah. in life and, like, trying to protect them when we're the ones, like, hurting in those situations. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting. Mm-hmm. The first male that I told was my brother. Mm-hmm. and Which brother? Uncle Bobby or Uncle Leonard? Uncle, Uncle Leonard. Oh, well, Uncle Leonard, what did he say? Look at me He here. really did not have a response. And he, I remember telling him that he looked down and looked away. Mm-hmm. And, but now I understand why he looked down. Why he looked down and looked away. Because this is the same away. uncle that was at the family function. Saying because that. he was also a a. What could molester. he say? Wow, that's and that was the person that I told, the very first person that I told. Wow, so I ask you guys this: How did you go about having these conversations with your husbands? Like, knowing that that would be a big part in, like, your marriage and intimacy and stuff like that. Great question. Um, I brought it up during our... we went. Hillary and I went through marriage counseling before we even got engaged. Best thing ever. Um, and what I love about our counseling, even though we met them through a church... Or we found them through a church, um, they didn't do it by the books. They were very much like, look, put everything out on the table. This is how it is. And so, for me... Um, I just flat out said, like, this is an issue that I've had in the past. It may come up, but I was molested by an uncle for X number of years. And that's how we talked about it. And for him, I mean, he was okay. Um, he now has an understanding on why he should be patient with me when it comes to sex. Mm -hmm. So if I tell him, don't touch me a certain way, or I don't like that, or just he understands so that was something that that was I think that came out like the second or third day or third week of our counseling when Mm -hmm. it was my turn to really say say it and he was very understanding to it I think Hillary was probably out of any I've been in a lot of relationships but (laughs) a lot a lot um but Hillary's the only guy that I've been with that I felt the need to tell because I didn't think every relationship I've been in oh I need to explain that to everybody He's the only one. 
didn't I don't I didn't share that with anybody else. He's the only person. But I felt like he needed to know in case I went into one of my moments <sighs> when we having sex and I just freeze and I'm like, we gotta stop. Yeah. Because this isn't working for me. Yeah. And he's understanding to it. It's the times that that has happened. It's hard. That can be a bit frustrating for the man, and it is frustrating for me too because you don't. It's supposed to be an intimate amazing moment and you can't enjoy the moment because you're being taken back to a place mm-hmm. that of like fear it, and like being a little girl again yes and I always pray to God my, and this is something I was praying about just last week when I was breastfeeding Jedediah and that thought came to mind and I was like God I really want this memory to go away mm-hmm. and it's the memory, and I don't really have a memory of when it happened because I feel like it just got to a point where I literally just shut down. But it's always back at that very first time where I'm sitting at the computer mm-hmm. and he's looking at me and telling me, this is between you and I. And I'm thinking to my, it's always that same moment. Yeah. And I'm like, God, I just want that memory to go away. It's a part of my life that... I don't want to remember anymore. I don't want to think about it. If anything, I want to be able to use it to share with my children that, look, don't let anybody touch you in this way, but I don't want to have that memory anymore. Yeah. For me, my husband and I were having sex, and he grabbed me, and just the way he grabbed me instantly brought back that uncomfortable feeling of, my uh, brother-in-law molesting me and not being able to do anything about it. Mm-hmm. And every time my husband would, and I would have sex, he would touch me, touch, grab my breast, and it just reminded me of that. And so it got to a point where I knew that, or I felt that I, it was my duty to have sex with my husband. So I would check out mm-hmm. and like and be like, just do it, get it over with. Mm-hmm. And mentally, I would just check out because anytime mm-hmm. we would start it, it would instantly take me back to mm-hmm. what he was, the molester was doing to me. Yeah. So I eventually had to tell my husband, hey, do me a favor, don't, don't touch me like that because mm-hmm. that takes me right back. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it um, my husband understood, but man, I, for the longest, I mean, a period of time, I would just be like, oh, my husband's touching me. Just check out. And you, like, you have to communicate that. Yes. You have to be upfront about it because if you're not upfront about it, then what happens is you now create this tension between you and your husband mm-hmm. and he's thinking, well, my wife doesn't like the way I touch her. Yeah, it's like, it's not you. My wife don't but, want me yeah. to have sex with her. Yeah. But that's not the case. Yeah. It's just that she's emotionally and mentally being taken to a place where she was abused. Mm-hmm. And if she begins to get that feeling from you, it doesn't feel like a safe place or right. a real intimate and enjoyable place. Okay. So that's why it's so important to communicate it and to have an understanding spouse because some men may not be as understanding. That might be mm-hmm. really difficult for mm-hmm. them, especially if maybe they, you don't know what they've done mm-hmm. in their past. Oh, yeah. and Asking you, what's wrong with you? Yeah. What's wrong with you? Yeah. Because yeah. you might get somebody like that. Yeah. And I remember, I, you know what? 
I take that back because you asked me this question earlier. You said, did I ever have like an experience with a, uh, let me stop, one of them boys, ex-boys. <laughs> I did actually one time. I remember, oh, I'm sharing a lot. I was messing around with somebody and I had this really just overwhelming feeling of disgust. And in the middle of it, I yelled, get off me. And he was like, what? Like, he was so upset, like, to the point where he walked out the house, left me in his house, slammed the door, and I was there, like, just sitting there for probably about four hours, just like, oh, my God, just filled with disgust. Mm -hmm. But that's the one time I do remember. But, mm, yeah, that's the only time that happened with an F-boy. Crazy. Yeah, funny with that F boy. <laughs> <laughs> so as um, adult women, kind of this being a part of who you are and like staying with you, and you can't really do anything to get rid of it. Just learn to cope and deal with it, and uh, do what works for you to heal past that. What are some ways that y'all found healing? Whether that be therapy, prayer, um, support groups. What did healing look like for you guys on your journey? Oh wow. There's a saying, you have to talk it out so you can work it out. And therapy, for me, was the, the breaking ground, like the ground opening for me to start what I call really living and not have carrying guilt mm -hmm. of what, actually false guilt, mm -hmm. for what someone else had done to me. I was feeling guilty about everything because of, of, of what this person had done to me. And therapy made me understand that what happened to me was not my fault mm -hmm. and that I actually was not what had happened to me. Yeah, this event happened to me and it was just that, an event in my life and I can move past it and learn how to have healthy relations, sex, sexual relationships mm -hmm. without feeling like a pervert. Mm -hmm. Because I actually enjoy sex. and, oh, and, and meant to enjoy it. Yeah, it's but it took to that, yeah. what was meant to be enjoyable, away from me. Yeah. And But now learning how to um, properly process those emotions that I'm feeling about sex and um, not being able to, to try different things. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, it, it took took therapy and literally spilling everything that happened to me mm -hmm. and getting that rottenness, mm -hmm. that evil that uh -huh. he had done to me yeah. out. Yeah, because it sticks with you. It's like a, like a spirit mm -hmm. and you got to like yeah. work to get rid of it. And I feel like what you're saying, like therapy, so talking it out with someone who's unbiased, who yeah. won't have an opinion to shout back mm -hmm. at you, yeah. but also... I just feel like our voices are so powerful when it comes to this because if I felt like every time I shared my story with someone, I got a little bit stronger. Mm -hmm. It's like I got a little bit more out and I got a little bit more out so that I can sit up straighter and like be stronger about the situation. But then in turn, um, I've been in situations where I've opened up to somebody about it um, and then they come back and tell me their story and that was the first time they had ever told anybody. Yeah. So you using your voice, even when you don't know, could be the first step to someone else getting the healing that you're in the process of getting for yourself too. Yeah. But um, what would be your experience with it, especially being a Christian woman, having a faith-based organization and things like that? I know a lot of times, 
I know my personal experience was like, let's pray about it. Mm. When I finally no. opened up, we had like a big prayer circle after church. And I'm not going to lie, it helped. But then when I got home, then what? Until the yeah. next time I could go to counseling. Um, so I think I want, I would love for you to touch on that. Yes. Oh, I'm the queen of prayer is not enough. Um, Even the church has not dealt. No, the church hasn't dealt with it. We were just talking before we started. Number like, one, they're incapable. I'm sorry. They're incapable. <laughs> Churches trying to hide things or cover up things that you know people who work for the church are doing when they or molest even being little boys. So religious in the thought that like if they say prayer is not enough, they're somehow like going against God or like acting against what uh, the Bible says to do. Healing can come through counseling. Healing can come through therapy. We need to, as a church, we need to stop looking, especially the black church. Yes. We need to stop looking at therapy as if, oh, this person is cuckoo or crazy or it's something that's or a demonic. demonic yeah. Or a Jezebel spirit. Yeah. They're so quick to, to lay yeah. that on. They're like, no. It's, it's, <laughs> it's not that. Like, go to counseling, get professional help. And if you're, this is what changed for me, my outlook. I was dealing with a lot um, when I first gave my life to Christ um, or, you know, got saved however people want to put it you know because I know people look at that very differently but or became born again and I sat in front of a pastor and I was telling him the issues that I was dealing with and he said my sister I don't know what I can do for you mm-hmm. and I looked at that pastor like what you mean you don't know what you can do for me or you don't know what to do for me? Ain't you ain't miracles from heaven you supposed to make heaven fall down like and yeah. my problems are gonna go away? Yeah. Which is why I tell people now when you have issues, you need to seek God about what kind of healing you need. Yeah. Not go to church and think that the church is gonna make you feel better or feel good or your situation is gonna change. It doesn't work out that way. Mm-hmm. And I know more women and men who have received great healing from going through therapy sessions mm-hmm. and counseling and sitting down and talking it out, like my mom said, because you gain so much more from that. You get truth, you get clarity, you get understanding. And sometimes you need somebody to walk with you in that. Mm-hmm. And I'm one of those that would say, I, I know I have a faith-based organization, but when I'm really going through things, sometimes I run far, far away from the church because church has a tendency to place a lot of shame yeah. in that false guilt that you were talking about. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of political things that happen in church. You don't know who you can trust because let's say if you in the choir, somebody will come and you tell them this and then that person who you went and told now went and told the mm-hmm. pastor. Now the pastor's wife knows and the whole church now knows about your situation. So I'm like, it's one of the reasons why when we did counseling, I told my husband, I said, we won't be doing counseling at my church mm-hmm. or the church that we attend because I don't want people in my business like that. That's fair. I don't want people in my business because it ain't therapy for me if the therapy done went out to everybody in the church yeah. and everybody is discussing it. Now I got to deal with the issue. Of, oh, my God. People are know this or they know mm-hmm. that. So go to counseling. Yeah. Get professional help. Your insurance may cover it. If you work, you got a corporate job. Mine does, too. There you go. Like, those are things that people need to understand. People people have this misconception of, oh, well, what if I can't afford therapy? Lots of therapists, great therapists or counselors out there, they accept your insurance. Yeah, they accept insurance. A lot of times, if you 
are able to have a conversation with them, they can put their fees on a sliding scale and make it work for mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. you can do or put you on a payment plan. Like a lot of counselors are very flexible. Yeah. And um, I was just recently going through a lot of stuff this year and I'm like, okay, I need counseling. And I didn't know our insurance covered it. But I did $25 copay. I'm like, okay, okay. Yeah, there you go. Let me go ahead and go. There you go. <laughs> but um, my dad, who is a minister, my stepdad, um, telling me, you know, don't be out here just trying to break your neck and find a Christian counselor. Because mm-hmm. a lot of times yeah. people will screw you over more yeah. than you already are right yeah. now. Or mess you up even more in the head than you already are. Because there's always like unfortunate that we have to be aware of this as christians but a lot of time there's a motive or an agenda of their personal beliefs that they're trying to put on you through that situation that may not be beneficial to your healing process yep and i i remember too uh you know last night at the event that we were at you know we were talking about prioritizing your relationships and i think you should know have your very few that maybe that's one or two people that you go to and you share certain things with i'm very strategic about mine the one person that i share a lot of things with when i need advice none of my close friends or anybody has access to her Mm -hmm. why because i'm like i don't even want nobody to know who she is Mm -hmm. because when i go through deep things i don't want no i don't want her sharing i already know who i am oh stop (laughs) (laughs) stop it but you so funny. You so funny. Um, but I, I, I say that because you just, you want to make sure that you're protected. And I think that's why a lot of times people are running away from the church. Yeah. Because they don't feel as if they're safe anymore. They're yeah. constantly being judged. I mean, I was talking to someone the other day and they were t- talking about their situation. They are like, I mean, basically, I went there and this person went back and told this person. And now everybody looking at me like I'm crazy. And I'm like... You're not supposed to feel that way. Yeah. So just go go get professional help. Yes. Sometimes well, the pastor ain't got nobody's degrees and nothing. That's what I was about to say. <laughs> it, it's important to know that doing nothing is not an option. Mm-hmm. You have to do something because mm-hmm. you want to be able to function and not just be stagnant and, and just getting through. You want to get over it and get past mm. it. And when those things happen to you, it's like your hard drive. It's downloaded into your system. It is automatically a part of you. And as I said, it's an event that happened to you, but it does not have to define who you are. And and with the the church, as as you said, Jessica, a, a lot of these people aren't even educated in the area of, of, of healing um, or even counseling. Um, so, so for me, and because the, the stigma that has been put on therapy, getting counseling, um, you do, it, it, the, safe, the church has become an unsafe haven because it's more of a social yeah. gathering than what it's really intended for. I mean, it, you can't go to them and and expect healing when half of them don't even know what born again is mm-hmm. or what what uh it's just like whenever Hillary and I we went through marriage counseling I I was very prayerful and I it was something I took very serious I was like God give us great counselors and by the grace of God we were blessed with some amazing counselors and what was so crazy is there were probably about seven or eight other people in that class 
what they laughed at us and even the counselors thought that it was very strange that my husband and I decided to go through counseling before we got engaged. So you have everybody in this class, seven, eight couples, yeah, seven or eight couples, and they we read in a book and they tell us, they're like, if you see any red flags, you should discuss it and go your separate ways or if there's, and I'm like, these people done already paid deposits for wedding venues, Look, sent out invites. Some of them are like two weeks away from their wedding. Yeah. But when they asked us, they were like, oh, you guys are not engaged yet? And we were like, well, no, because we just want to make sure we was doing things right and asking each other one another the right questions, especially me, because I was like, I don't want to marry nobody that I see myself divorcing 10 and 15, 20 years from now. Yeah. Um, but they, the counselors thought that was the weirdest thing. But that was in the church. And I was like... The new normal. <laughs> I was like, why would we encourage people to go through counseling after they've gotten engaged? That makes it harder. It makes it harder to walk away. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So that's one of the reasons why I'm like, no. like I love that. I've never thought about that. But that's like a really good idea. Take full control. There's only one church in Dallas that does it that way. Is and it the one you went to? Uh, no, they don't do it that way. We chose to do it that way. Oh, ourselves. they didn't. No, they don't. They didn't do it that. Way. I wrote a review and I told them I think that you should do that. How you go ask me about red flags after I don't already pay my deposit for my venue <laughs> and made my announcement to everybody that I'm engaged? Don't make no sense. What churches are there? People who are interested. Watermark Church, okay. but they're all, I'm I I um I'm let me be quiet because I know I'm, people will be listening to me, but. I was gonna say I I so Watermark is not a church that I would attend or be a member of, but I do like the way they operate as far as how they do counseling, and I've heard many people rave about their counseling sessions. I think they're a church that actually does it right, Mm -hmm. Um, and they do have professionals who come in and counsel, but they have. Look, everybody knows in America the divorce rate is extremely high. 50-50. There you go. So they believe that they say 50% of the people that go through their program of counseling while they're dating end up going going their separate ways. So that means that here they are. They caught. They stopped the divorce or prevented the before, divorce before it happened. Before they decided to let's get engaged and let's get married in two, three years, for however many years you're gonna be married. They're preventing that from happening, which is great. Why get married if you already know you set for disaster anyway? Mm. And that's why I believe in what they're doing. So they have their dating counseling. Mm. Then when you get engaged, you go through counseling, and even when you're married, you still going through counseling. I like that. That is the right way to do it. However, if you don't get in early, they always got a waiting list. So we didn't get to do hours through Watermark. We went through Covenant Church in McKinney. Um, our counselors are great, but the people that I... Dang, that was a long story. I was trying to just say <laughs> that we got great counselors at the church. But when we were talking about how great our counseling sessions were, all the other couples were like, ooh, we didn't experience anything like this. Because they're already too deep in. But here's the difference. Our counselors have gone to school for mm. counseling. Their training didn't come through the church. Yeah. They are licensed professionals doing things outside of the church to better themselves. Whereas all the other counselors that were assigned to the couples 
were people who were trained in the church. That makes sense. So mm. this is why I'm saying professional. The there's a little. difference between yeah. professional help, people who go to school and get trained and know how to be counselors versus those who are in the church and saying, and in the name of Jesus, you're going to be healed. Hallelujah. Mm. Thank you, Jesus. Let <laughs> me lay hands on you really quick. No, what I need you to do is not lay hands on me and pray for me. But what I need, I need you to know, do is run me that degree. Let me, there see, you go. Let me see that certificate. There you go. I, know, I know God gave you the holy anointing. And I know Jesus and Paul and all them maybe didn't have degrees and all that stuff. But I do believe that there's a proper training. Yeah. And that's the thing churches teach against secular um, counselors. And want you to come, you know, uh, don't be giving your money to the world. Go come to the Christian counseling when they're Christian. Well, if you're a Christian counselor that's had professional training, then I'm happy to come to you. These, These are members are, that, <laughs> that I'm happy to come to you. Get you a counselor that can do both. Yes, but if, if you if you a Christian counselor that just got trained by the pastor in your church, they they got no qualifications to be counseling people or training people or being their therapist. The, I, Thanks, but no thanks. <laughs> thanks, but no thanks. Yes. Mm. So, no, but that was really great. I think that we need to have more discussions about counseling and therapy um, for black women, for black men. For couples. For mm. couples. Um, parents and their children. Yes. Um, I just think that is so important. Yeah, Jessica actually saw me go through my counseling process. Ooh, that and, was, Yeah. And she needed counseling. It's seriously because I was in such a, a dark place, mm-hmm. but the counseling is what mm-hmm. saved my life. Mm. It there were people there who weren't there to judge me, but to help me walk through this process um, and become better. And sitting in that environment where I was forced to just talk about everything that had happened to me, lay it out on the table was so just emptying Mm -hmm. and then when you empty all of that out the things that you you really desire and you want to do you're able to have room to receive it and for me I I just could not see that end of the tunnel and Mm -hmm. counsel it was counseling saved my life that's awesome wasn't a pretty process oh it's never uh -uh. was not a pretty process as a matter of fact, it's very, I remember thinking you and I were talking about it. You said it's very draining. Yeah. It has to like get worse before it gets better. Yeah. Kind of like oh, yeah. what they say about like wounds and stuff. Yeah. I was like, oh my God. It, it touches, it forces you to deal with the things mm-hmm. that you don't want to deal with. You have to like uproot all the negative things yeah. and get it, it all just, the way out. It peels back the calluses mm-hmm. so you can get to the actual soft skin. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for coming and this sharing your story. This is good. So amazing. I can't wait for people to hear. And I think a lot of people will be inspired and want to share their own story or look yeah. into counseling and things yeah. like that. Because um, you never know who's around you that have gone through the same thing as you. Like me and my mom, we relate a lot because she was molested growing up and then it happened to me. And so mm. we talk a lot, but then also I have a 11 year old sister. So it's mm. like that's always on our radar with her and like wanting yeah. to protect her and mm-hmm. um i just think that we're stronger whenever we share these stories and protect each other as women um and not Definitely. feel silenced even though the world is telling us not to say anything or to be quiet about it or you know we're not going to be heard or anything like that so i'm so thankful for you guys coming Thanks and being vulnerable and talking awesome. and getting that out there and 
super thankful. I'm so excited. So I can't wait to see people's responses to this episode because we talked about Ooh. a lot of stuff that I personally have never heard anyone talk about. Like, yeah. yeah. Excuse, excuse my language, guys. Don't hold it against me. Oh no, we. I don't care. So y'all shouldn't care either. But let everyone know where they can keep up with you guys, where they can follow you, where they can come see you singing, yes. how they can follow you on Instagram, all that, so they can keep the conversation going. I know they're probably more than willing to keep the conversation going, like in the DM or. Um, you know, email or something like that if you feel like you really connected with them and want to talk more. So where can they contact you guys? On Instagram, you can contact me at the Michelle Priest. The Michelle the. Priest. <laughs> <laughs> so official. <laughs> oh, oh, you finished? She, she said, Michelle where do you see? Where do you dot see? Com. Oh, I'm pretty much everywhere. In I want to come see. This Saturday, I'm subbing in with a... Um, a band at Blue Martini. Oh, my favorite spot. I'm at Crudo in Frisco. Um, who, are you, who are you with? Is it Emerald City? I heard y'all talking about Emerald City. Oh, I, well, I used to sing, used with, to sing, uh, I used to sing with Emerald City. In fact, I was the first um, melan, melanated person. Were you really? I love Emerald, Emerald City. City so much. Woo! That's another story for another day. <laughs> <laughs> Drug, <laughs> sex, and rock and roll. <laughs> oh, girl, that could be a book. Drug, right. sex, and rock and roll. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, that in itself was challenging being the first melanated uh, person mm. uh, when um, it's popular to be blue eyed and blonde haired. Mm. So that that was a very girl, interesting. You got all kinds of podcast topics today, girl. Yeah, Look. we got a lot. A lot yeah. in one. Might have to bring them back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so yeah. Where can they follow you, Jess? Just hit me up in my DM. Slide in the DM because it be going down in the DM. I'm so dead. At, uh, at Jessica Chinye Luce, uh, spelled C-H-I-N-Y-E-L-U. Jessica Chinye Luce. Hit me up. Tell them about the Woman of Purpose Conference coming yes, up this year. The Woman of Purpose Conference. Um, it's November 9th through the 10th. That's a Friday and a Saturday. And you can get your tickets by going to www.thewomanofpurposeconference.com There you go. Thanks so much for listening. Um, This was an amazing episode. Can't wait for you guys to hear the rest of the topics we have coming up. We're going to talk about post-grad depression, black men, and therapy. We're going to dive in a little bit more about therapy for black girls with one of my cousins who I love so much. And all the things so super excited thanks for tuning in follow michelle and jessica and shoot us some dms screenshot this episode let us know how you're feeling what you're thinking about (laughs) let's get this conversation going that's the background music (laughs) i know right i should play that as we like all right thanks for listening guys bye